Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. My only help to do better, to be a better dad, to be a better husband, to be a better computer programmer, to be a better friend, fill in the blank. My only hope is the creator of heaven and the one that's given me his word. Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia, 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. Psalm 19 is a marvelous twofold testimony of the wisdom and power of God. The first half of the psalm declares that creation provides enough evidence for all men to know that God is there and He reigns over His creation. The second half of the psalm testifies that the Word of God is sufficient enough to convert the born-again child of God to a deeper service and more devotion to Him. It amazes me every time I look at this psalm to consider the fact that David had far less scripture to read and study than we do. Yet, having only the books of Moses and possibly a few other things, David declares that it is perfect and that he delights in it. When we read Numbers or Leviticus, we might find it quite laborious, but David rejoiced in it. Perhaps we should look at it, the Bible, once again with the same pure perspective as David. God has revealed so much to us in His Word. We who live in the Gospel age have a fuller picture of God and the man Jesus Christ. We should be even more excited about the Bible than David was. After the following hymn, we will conclude the teaching on Psalm 19. While we listen to this hymn, I invite you to turn to Psalm 19, verse 8.
statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Pure. There is no mixture of sin in the commandment of God. And what does all of the law boil down to? Love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no sin mixed in with that. Well, what Brother Jonah has been teaching us from the book of Galatians is that those folks thought they had to do something in order to feel justified. And what they found was they never felt justified again, but when they just trusted God, then all they did was their religion was based upon pure love. We have that feeling and sense of peace. It enlightens our eyes. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What David is telling us is that God has commanded us to love and so when we love somebody else, not looking for something in return, that enlightens us about what God did for us. When we show mercy on someone that we don't think deserves mercy, then that enlightens our eyes as to our position when God had mercy upon us. If we don't practice mercy, we really don't have a clue about the mercy of God. If we don't practice love, and that's just helping somebody out for the sake of, it's the right thing to do for Christ's sake, then do we understand truly the love of God that is for us in Christ and for his sake? Commandment of the Lord is pure. 
There's no ulterior motive in it. When Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor, that was it. He didn't say, love God and love your neighbor so that. Did you catch that? That would not be pure. The pure motive for the born-again child of God is to just love God and love one another. Period. One of the most blessed things about that is we don't always do it and we're not lost. Isn't that a blessing? We don't always love God with all our heart. We don't always love our neighbor as ourselves. But there's no ulterior motive in the commandment. There is not this curse hanging over of sin and death that if we sin, then we've lost it all. We are at liberty to just love. And that ought to really enlighten us as to how much God loves us. That's a good thing, by the way. That's something your heart can rejoice in. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Clean means purity. And it's an inward purity. It's not looking pure on the outside. It's not doing works like the folks at Galatia did to show others or to compare themselves to others that I've done more right things. The true fear of the Lord is clean. It's purity from the inside. That endures forever. There are those that the Bible describes there is no fear of God before their eyes. Those are the same ones in the same book of Romans, quoting out of the Psalms, that talk about creation being sufficient for every single human being to know that there is a God and that He deserves glory. But they don't fear Him. But we do. Why is that? Because it's not just that we see the beauty and the glory of creation. It's just down in the inside. There's been an inward purity placed in us. That is faith. That is Jesus Christ. That is the Spirit of God. I want to continue living in a country where we have no earthly king. Period. I want to. I don't want a Politburo over us. I don't want a group of people that decides what I do with my life. And so when I say this, we have existed here in the United States without really having an understanding of what it means to have a sovereign king. To have a sovereign king that says what we ought to do and if we don't, has not only the right to chastise or punish, but has the ability to do so. So let's put ourselves in the most difficult situation possible. Let's pretend we're Nathan the prophet for a minute. 
God told Nathan to go tell King David he had sinned. God told Nathan the prophet to go tell the sovereign king of Israel he had sinned. If David didn't like what Nathan had to say, what's going to happen to Nathan? He's dead right there. But Nathan trusted the true sovereign more than he trusted David. And so he told him. And what is the result? David was given opportunity to repent of that sin. I think David loved Nathan even more. David wrote Psalm 51 and other psalms after that event. It changed David's life. Sometimes, folks, our love changes other people's lives. When Nathan was obedient to the sovereign God, he told somebody else, you're sinning. The Bible calls that love. That's not the definition of love you wanted to hear this morning, was it? <laughs> That's a difficult one, but we're called to do that. First of all, because God has told us to do it. Second, it's because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so we correct them in love. i got to move along. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. This is a summary of everything that he has said as what God has declared, what God decides, what God sets forth as a testimony of who he is. They're true and righteous all together. There's not a little point in there that it's not right. We rightly divide the word of truth. That doesn't mean we take out error. That means we define all of the truths of the Bible. And sometimes that means we must divide things out for easier understanding. But this word is true. And just as a little side note here, God never intended us to read the Bible alone. I mean just alone. We need to have individual study and prayer ourselves. But God gave us the church to bring our questions to. And he blesses men to teach. Now, I don't believe for a second that since the Apostle John died that there's been any new revelation. I don't believe for a second. So if anybody comes up and says something here in 2021 that nobody else has ever heard and says, God gave this to me, don't listen to him. <laughs> Because Revelation itself says to not add to this prophecy or take away from it. Meaning that was it. When the apostles died, 
the revelation of who God is and what he has done, it was penned. And everything we needed to know was given. But God does bless men today to explain it in ways that you and I can understand. That's called an under-shepherd. It's called elders. It's called teachers of the Bible. And so, even as a a father in, in our homes, brothers, we have the responsibility to make sure that the Word of God is taught in our home. But you know what? We're not the ultimate authority, even in that. We have the responsibility to bring our children to church and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that the ministers that are there... By the way, I hope you all have noticed that I keep saying that. The New Testament pattern is multiplicity of elders. There may be one pastor, but the Lord blesses multiple men to teach sometimes in a church. You've got the case of the treasurer or the secretary of treasury for... Candace of Ethiopia, very intelligent man. But when Philip comes up to him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? He says what? How can I except some man should guide me? He understood that there are people that are blessed to be able to explain things that we may not be able to understand all the time. Having said that, if there is a man says that you can't understand this, only we preachers can, stop listening to him. Stop listening to him. There's no new special revelation. Is there a, a blessing or an anointment to explain something a little bit better than it's been explained before? Yeah. Because there are life experiences that preachers use to explain things that 20 years ago that life experience didn't exist. Simple as that. The examples that I use today, if I was living in the 19... Let me make this real easy. If I was living in the 1950s and I wanted to give the example and I said, all right, pull out your cell phone. See what I'm saying? It is our job to explain the Word of God to you and to give examples to you that you can understand. Sometimes that means we need to research how sheep were raised and how crops are grown. But that doesn't mean that's the only examples that we give. Because, folks, here's something about the judgments of God. That means His Word. They're more to be desired. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. No matter what rich there is in the world, no matter what food there is in the world, the Word of God should be desired more than those. David is not telling us all to become monks. If you look at the history of monks, they were a cancer on society. They didn't provide for themselves many times and required other people to provide things for him. That's the opposite of love. When we're called upon to love, we are to take care of ourselves, but our focus of our career must not be before our focus and desire for the Word of God. 
We should not let personal things of this world get in the way of worshiping the Lord, reading His Word, singing praises to His name. They're more to be desired than all of these things. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. I don't know a better verse here in the Psalms that teaches time salvation than that right there. To the child of God, the Bible tells us if you live this way, that's a path that leads to destruction. If you live this way, that's a path that leads to joy because you'll be in deeper fellowship with the Lord. The Bible written to the, word of, to the child of God helps them understand how they are to live here. David, in reflection of all of this, then asks this question. Who can understand his errors? Any religion that says, confess all of your sins, list it all out, repent of it, or do some kind of penance for it, or some kind of work to replace it, David said, who can understand his errors? David said, I might be able to remember some of the things that I did, but oh my, I am such a sinner compared to this glorious God. So David says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. So Lord, I, I beg you. I know there's things that I've done that I don't even remember. I might even be aware that it cleansed me from that of the past and keep me from doing it now. David calls upon the creator God and the one that's given a testimony of how glorious he is. David says, I am nothing. My only help to do better, to be a better dad to be a better husband, to be a better computer programmer, to be a better friend, fill in the blank. My only hope is the creator of heaven and the one that's given me his word. And I can tell you from personal experience what David is saying here. If I'm not studying nature, if I'm not reading the word of God, then I'm not going to be a good father. I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm not going to be a good friend. Because my only hope... <laughs> is in what God has revealed to me. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let, not, let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and shall be innocent from the great transgression. You can read a hundred commentators on what that great transgression is and get 104. The extra came from John Gill. <laughs> so I'm not going to try to explain this other than this way David says Lord cleanse me so that I don't get worse you know very often we say oh, my sin's not that bad I don't need to change it David had studied creation so much and had studied the word of God so much he'd long forgot that question that statement of, my sin's not that bad. David's praying, Lord, help me from getting worse. That's presumptuous as to say, oh, my sin's not that bad. There's a greater sin there. David concludes, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength 
and my Redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. So not, don't let it just be what comes out on the outside for others to hear, but that the source of it be that my heart has been going over this from day to day. And it be acceptable in thy sight. There is a tremendous freedom when we quit worrying about what other people think about us. There is a tremendous freedom in that. David was only concerned. As a matter of fact, it, it floors me how Psalm 51 is worded. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Did David sin against Uriah? Yes, he did. Did David sin against Bathsheba? Yes, he did. Did David sin against all of Israel? Yes, he did. David's not denying any of that. David's making the point, the worst thing that I did was I sinned against the God of heaven. And so David prays to the God of heaven. Let what I do be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. My strength. David says, I know I can only do this by the almighty power of God. And then here's you some homework. All of a sudden, David says, my redeemer. <laughs> David didn't have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. David didn't have 1 Corinthians chapter 15. David didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. David didn't have Romans. David didn't have most of the Bible. But he found that this God that showed himself in creation and that showed himself in the five books of the law, David found his Redeemer. <laughs> in the commandments of God, David didn't see restriction. David found liberty. Because he found his Redeemer. He was talking about an eternal Redeemer. He was talking about a Redeemer here. He was talking about a Redeemer from living in sin. He was talking about a Redeemer to get him through pain, to get him through anguish, to get him through depression, to get him through fear. David found his Redeemer in the law of the Lord. Let's not forget Psalm 1. He said that he meditates in it day and night. Let's get that way. You know, meditation is not sitting down crisscross applesauce, doing a funny shape with your hands, and saying, Om. That's foolishness. Children, you may run across an instructor sometimes, not mom and dad, please not mom and dad, that will tell you to clear your mind. Don't do it. That is not the Word of God. Someone telling you to clear your mind, they want to put something in there that doesn't belong there. Fill your mind with the Word of God so that when anybody says anything to you, you're automatically comparing, nope, that's not the Word of God. You're wrong. I'm not listening to you. Now, if you need to take a test and pass the test, take the test, pass the test. But use that as an understanding of what your enemy, the devil himself, is trying to do to you. 
To meditate upon something means to go over and over and over again in your mind. Not to clear your mind. God doesn't speak to people that way. God speaks volumes to us right here. And it's easy to understand. You don't have to interpret a dream. It's written right here. Your redeemer is there. Your helper is there. Your sustainer is there. Your joy is there. May the Lord bless you all is my prayer. We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.